Hi everybody, uh, this is Eugene. I want to welcome you back to the second episode of the Progressive Christian Podcast. Um, it's been a while, I have to apologize, life happened, but I can honestly say that um, this podcast is achieving for me sort of my first goal, which really is quite selfish, but um, and that is to to speak my mind, to be able to say exactly what I think and what I'm wrestling with and the questions I have. Um, and then once I have that sort of off my chest, it allows me to progress in my own thinking and my own understanding and, and sort of, you know, create space in a vacuum for new thoughts to, to form. And so in this time between the first and the second episode, there's certainly been a lot of personal progression for me that I'm really excited about. Um, but I do hope that uh, this will obviously mean something to you as well. Um, I'm very excited about this specific lesson because I think it creates a framework that I think is, is so much healthier, so much more helpful for us to find ways to engage one another, you know, and really talk about meaningful things in a, in a way that is constructive and not violent or, or aggressive. So the, the title of this lesson is Be Brave, Speak Up and Listen Up. In this lesson, I'd like to explore a framework for thinking about truth, about what we believe and how we engage one another on truth. And specifically, I want to also give you a better idea of why I started this podcast and what I have in mind. So our understanding of the world, also called a worldview, or, you know, how we understand and judge ourselves, how we understand and interpret other people, God, creation, this worldview is what defines everything for us. So I'm going to give you a list of a couple of things that gets sort of um, defined by our worldview and our belief system. The first thing is meaning. I believe that, there, that for, for every single one of us, there is a dissonance, a slight disconnect between what it is we seek, what it is we pursue, and what we end up getting. Are you with me? So our worldview, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of all of everything that exists, determines what we pursue. It defines for us what is meaningful and beautiful and good and should be pursued. And then the accuracy of your worldview of how well you understand yourself and this world should define how close we can actually get to achieving those things, if, that, if you understand. So if you, if you possessed all truth, if you knew everything that could be known, you would be able to know exactly what to do, and you will achieve what you set out to do, because you know everything. Does that make sense? So our understanding of the world is, is the, our best effort at defining for us what is meaningful and what we should pursue. And... Like I say, the question then is, are you getting what you're pursuing? <laughs> you know, so we're jumping right in the deep end already, but are you actually getting what you hope to achieve in life? Are you getting there? Uh, it's like, you know, I heard a story of someone recently who this person apparently has, has got quite a bombastic personality. And if, if someone starts talking in their sort of uh, presence in a room about how they understand the world and what they believe and they start making absolute statements, then this person would interject and say, before you go any further, just tell me this, how is that working for you? So obviously that is quite sort of, I guess, a bit of a twist of a knife there. Because, but it, it, there is truth in that because it's the, this question of, okay, you want to give me this whole belief system that you subscribe to, but are you actually, is it working? Are you, are you getting what you're set out in, setting out to achieve? Rather, you know, give me the fruit first of your worldview before you give me the substance. So a worldview colors in the world for us and defines for us what is meaningful. The second thing I've got here is what is good or bad or right and wrong. So it defines morality for us. So for example, what are the types of things you, you wouldn't want to be caught dead doing, you know, in front of other people? Or, or um, what are the types of things that you believe 
should be sought after, the type of behavior that you'd want to be seen doing? And conversely, what are the types of things that when you're alone and you know nobody will ever know that you're okay doing or not okay doing? These things are all defined by our belief systems and our worldviews. The third thing I have here is it defines your have-tos. So uh, your have-tos. So I have to be fit or I have to be healthy or I have to be strong enough to whatever. I have to be successful I have to get married or, you know, there's something that I cannot do or be. Um, I cannot be seen as crying or I cannot be seen as being emotional, you know. Um, so, so what, in what way does your belief system tell you that you have to do certain things or uh, meet a certain standard? Okay. And this is, it's a fantastic introspective exercise because you have to ask yourself, you have to, but you, you know, it's a good idea to ask yourself, what in your own mind do you have anxiety over that you go, but I, I just have to measure up to that standard and I cannot be seen to not live up to that standard. The, the fourth thing is expectations. It sets expectations of, um, the people around us, so a spouse, for example, what expectations do we have? You know, what do you expect of your family, of your friends? Uh, and a good way to measure this is if you have any, any resentment towards anyone, then that would have been sort of long-term deep disappointment from a parent, from a friend, from an authority figure, uh, from a teacher, from a spouse, you know, whatever it may be, any resentment we have, is a consequence of expectations we had that were not met, um, and you know typically, and and those expectations are defined by our belief system and our worldview. Uh, number five, it determines our state of mind. You know this is huge because, are you happy? Are you joyful? Do you do you find fulfillment in what you're doing and your circumstances? Can you see the good in your everyday life, or is it? you know, a constant frustration and it life is just not good enough. Um, ultimately, I think if you think of the word depression, for example, I think it's a state of mind where you are caught up in an entanglement of beliefs that does not reconcile with the world and you feel alone. You feel like no one understands your, your mindset. Obviously, I'm oversimplifying. I'm sure there's, you know, depression is a massive subject, but I'm just saying, what is your state of mind? How do you feel about today? Is today a great day or not? Is this a great week, month, year? All of that is defined by our belief system and our worldview. So it's important we get it right. And lastly, number six, it, our worldview determines the society we create. You know, if you, a simple example, if you, for example, think about uh, women's suffrage, so, you know, women's rights to vote, and you go and look, and I think, I think it became uh, law, you know, women were first allowed to vote, I think, in the United Kingdom in 1928, in South Africa, where I live, 1930. I think France was only 1945, which is crazy to think about. Um, and there are many countries that, you know, still ran up into the end of the 20th century. But if you think about this idea, you know, is, are women and men absolute equals? Should women have the right to vote? And how you think about genders and the difference in genders, um, you know, defines for you whether the voice of a woman and the voice of a man is equal. I understand there's complexity and there's nuance there, but that's, this is why how we think about ourselves and of other people has a real effect on the world we create. And when we as a society subscribe, begin to subscribe, to subscribe to a new idea, there's always resistance. And I'm not saying all new ideas are good. But um, when we as a society reach a certain tipping point, then immediately the society changes and there's nothing that can, that can stop it. So what we believe, what we hold as true, our worldviews are critically important for our personal health and prosperity, but it's also critically important for our collective health and prosperity. So in a development of a worldview and of an understanding of oneself and the universe and everything that exists, for me personally, I think, you know, there are two sort of criteria that I will define um, 
as, you know, being a healthy worldview and a healthy belief system. So the first is this. It should have as its primary input a long-term commitment to move closer and deeper into the truth, which means a regular experience of confronting oneself with reality, not as you wish it to be, but as it is. And there's an understanding that there's going to be discomfort, that it has to be conscious, it has to be active. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. It means becoming aware of your own ignorance and unwillingness to face certain truths and to continue to push deeper into it despite your fears, you know, despite your fears for the sake of truth. It means developing a fitness for discerning truth and actively pushing into reliable sources of truth, challenging what you know. This to me is personal progressiveness. It's what it means to be a progressive person is that I want to push deeper into truth, whatever it is. And I'm not going to lie to myself for the sake of comfort. Okay, so that's the first requirement. I think it's quite intuitive, um, but it's not always so easy. And you have to ask, you know, in our society and in our cultures, in, in my society, in my culture, and my sort of social network, what incentives are there for me to do this? You know, I think very often there are incentives to, to do the opposite of just believing whatever everybody around you believes, rather than um, asking, well, what is actually true for the sake of truth? The second requirement for me personally is that I believe it's output, the output of a, the fruit of a healthy worldview and belief system should be what's called in the Bible, the fruit of the spirit. So I love this passage, Galatians 5 verse 22 to 23 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, it is a shopping list of traits that I think, again, intuitively define what it looks like to be a healthy person on the inside. And it, these are the character traits that we would love everybody around us to have. Can you imagine being having, you know, being in a family and having friends and being having colleagues who, who exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, you know? But obviously, we, the only person we can control most of the time is ourselves. And so the fruit of a healthy worldview, of a healthy understanding of yourself and a belief system, I believe, should be, should have as its outcome, greater inner peace, greater inner joy, greater love, greater patience, greater gentleness and self-control. So we can hypothetically talk about these two principles conflicting with one another, because pushing deeper into truth isn't always a joyful, peaceful exercise. But I guess what I'm saying is, if you push deeper into truth, my experience has been every time I do it, at first it's uncomfortable, it's painful, it's frustrating, it can be depressing um, in the short term. But then the moment you keep going, you grow, because it's an experience where you come out on the other side and you realize that was, that it wasn't so hard facing that truth as I thought it might be. My fears and anxieties are actually based on irrationalities. And it helps me get rid of those irrationalities so that I can develop a worldview that gives me greater joy and peace, if that makes sense. So I think these two things help each other. I think that if you are pushing into what you think is truth and it is making you you know, giving you greater paranoia, I mean, over the long term, making you more unhappy and frustrated, then you've got to ask yourself, well, you know, where's this going? Is this really healthy and helpful? And is there maybe a different approach to processing the information I'm getting? Now, let me say one more thing about our worldview. You may, you may at this stage go, I hear you. I'm not really bought into this process. Well, I think what's important is that not only does our worldview define our own destiny, but it is passed on to our own children. Uh, it is passed on to our children. It's passed on to the next generation. And you may not have children. I'm not sure if you plan to have children. But certainly in terms of the next generation, we have a responsibility to give them 
the best we possibly can. You know, it's very easy to look back at previous generations and go, can you believe that people wanted to burn someone at the stake, you know, or excommunicate them, uh, whatever it may be, be violent towards people who believe that the earth is not flat. It's insane, right? It's ridiculous. And yet, in our generation, what is it that we believe and hold on to? That is ridiculous and insane, and history will judge us on. Um, so, you know, we could go into that, but I'm just saying, I feel we have a responsibility, not just to ourselves, but to, this, to our society and to the next generation, to make sure we develop a robust worldview and set them up, not with perfection. That's exactly the point I'm making is, uh, and we'll get into it, is that we cannot give them perfection. We should give them license to take the best they can get from our understanding, but know that they have, that we've sanctioned them, we've, 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 we've charged them to push deeper into truth than we could within our lifetimes. You know, when I was a teenager, the internet was developing. I mean, I got to know podcasts and things like YouTube as a young adult. Whereas my son has always known YouTube. He's never known a world without it. I mean, he's always had fast internet and, and you know, video, audio, you know, you name it. And I think it's difficult for us because our lives are actually so short in the scope of history. But if you consider the, the nuclear bomb that was the printing press 500 years ago, and then consider, you know, personal computers and mobile phones and, you know, global global communications network that not only sends bits and bytes, but actually can send video and audio. Um, I mean, it is just mind-blowing to even begin to think about what the effects are going to be 100 years from now, 500 years from now, 1,000 years from now, if we get that far, um, on the type of exposure people will get. So, you know, you and I could probably have lived in a bubble. Our parents and their parents certainly probably did. And, and you know, sort of echo chambers of only hearing the information that they already know. And we can probably choose to lock down our associations and the information we expose ourselves to and really filter out aggressively and censor what we expose ourselves to, but also our kids. But can we guarantee what our kids will believe and get exposed to. I genuinely believe we can't, and, and that's no longer a, a sensible approach. So even though we will do our best to pass on to our kids the absolute best we have to offer, they will get exposure to ideas that, that are going to contradict what we have taught them, and they will end up making up their own minds. Is that okay? I mean, you know, are you feeling anxiety at that thought? Because this is the point is, we're going to have to teach our kids how to discern truth, how to decide for themselves, how to research and not just take what they hear at face value um, and actually critique it and verify it and check it and understand what are the interests of these people speaking up? Why do they say what they say? Uh, you know, how do they benefit from it? And, and those sort of, I mean, there's a lot that we could talk about there. So for me, that is a progressive philosophy. It is charging our kids with, listen, this is how I've come to understand the world. I want to ex expose you to my own journey of coming to the conclusion that I have. But you are going to have to make up your own mind. I mean, that is just by definition true. You know, uh, the harder you try and control someone else, I believe the less you will end up controlling them. By definition, what we have is incomplete, it contains flaws and blind spots. And I actually think that we should be excited for them, not fearful. Fear should not be the primary emotion we instill in our kids. Okay, it's a scary world that they're going to be fearful enough. What we should instill is bravery to do the right things. So let's talk about truth. Um, let two comments, because um, at this stage, again, there may be some of you worried. <laughs> First of all, I'm not a proponent, proponent of pluralistic truth. Okay, I do not believe that you can believe whatever you want and that, that makes it true by just believing. Okay, I don't believe that at all. Um, I believe that there is absolute truth. I believe that there is only one truth. Um, but, I, you know, it's not as simple as that, and we'll get into it. And secondly, I'm not arguing that all beliefs are, or ideas are equal, right? 
I think that's clear from the things I've said above. I've tried to explain why it is so important to ensure what we believe is healthy. It is robust. It is based on truth as much as we and reality as much as we can. And if we don't, if we're not accurate, if we don't have a good understanding, it will, it will become a, a jail of the mind. And it will become, it will create pain and suffering, not just for us, but for everybody around us. So it's important that, you know, there are certainly ideas and beliefs that are more helpful, more healthy, more constructive than others. And we need to push into those. So I want to talk about, uh, let's just say, two aspects of truth. Okay. The one is, number one is objective truth. It is the truth, the absolute truth. It encompasses everything about everything that exists everywhere at all times. Okay. So, I mean, this is gigantic stuff, right? I mean, if you go up to the, the scale of the universe and I don't know what's beyond it, according to string theory, there's an infinite number of universes. So, you know, theoretically, you could say that, that the truth is an infinite thing. Um, and then you go all the way down to, you know, atomic level electrons and quarks and all these things that I don't understand, but you know, quantum level, everything in between. You think about time, you know, the state of everything at all times. So I, I think that absolute truth is fairly intuitive for us in that we understand that there is the truth, but how do we understand our own understanding of truth? If that makes sense, right? So the second component of this I want to talk about is what I'm going to call subjective reality. It is our own worldview, our own belief system, our own understanding of absolute truth, which is not the same as absolute truth. Okay, so we're going to get into that. There's two metaphors that I want to just talk about for a moment to describe our subjective reality. The one is reflections and the other is shadows. Reflections is, you know, the Bible talks about we now see in part. It's like looking in a mirror. And I can imagine, you know, if you made a mirror, manufactured a mirror 2,000 years ago, it probably wasn't of the same quality we would have today. It might be warped. It might, you know, lose a lot of light. It would, it would obviously have a finite size. So you can't see the whole picture. And these reflections of reality is is not as clear, as crystal clear as seeing reality itself. Shadows is, is even more interesting because if you were to take a, a, a cylinder, right, a short sort of, let's just say a pipe or whatever, and you take the cylinder shape and you, you shine a light on it that, you know, casts a shadow on a wall and you turn the shape, you could turn a, a, a cylinder so that it casts a perfect circle shadow, circular shadow on the wall. But you could also turn it so that it uh, creates a perfect rectangle. And if we see in part, and we can only see in two dimensions, you know, we could get into arguments about this object is a circle, clearly. And other people would say, no, this object is a rectangle. And we could get very angry with one another, because clearly you can't see the truth, you know, when in fact, well, it's both. How can it be both? Well, you're missing a dimension of complexity. And by adding a third dimension, I mean, it's not just that it's both a circle and a rectangle. It's something completely different. It's a cylinder. It has texture. It maybe has imperfections. It has weight. It has strength. It has, you know, so many properties that get lost because we cannot see all the dimension and all the complexity that of the real thing and the full picture. So for me, when it comes to our subjective reality, I don't actually believe that we hold absolute truth in our minds because everything is interconnected. How can you just cut out a little piece of absolute truth, isolate it from everything else it's interdependent with and say you understand truth? It's not as simple as that. Instead of that, we hold these reflections, these shadows, these models, these interpretations of reality, of truth in our minds. And that to us defines what they are. It's also, you know, it's, it's, it's an incredible thing that our minds have 
this capability. I mean, let's just use an example and try and make this a bit more concrete. If you think of an apple, okay, imagine an apple. Is it red or is it green or is it yellow? Has it got a pattern on it? You know, I mean, there are so many ways you could think of an apple. Um, what texture is it when you bite into it? Is what, you know, is it sweet? Is it sour? It's incredible how just one little word like an apple that we can illustrate so simply on a piece of paper has got such complexity to, to it. And what, you know, having a model of this real thing in our minds uh, gives us the capability to do is think about possibility because you can immediately flip between green and red apple, different textures, different tastes, uh, different shapes, just by imagining it. And that is an incredible thing. Now, your imagination does not make it true, but your imagination, your creativity, your understanding is certainly a reflection and sort of, it's almost like having Play-Doh of, of reality. You know, you make a little man, but the Play-Doh man isn't actually the thing, but it represents it. And that's, I think, how our brain works. Clear as mud, right? <laughs> so, now this subjective truth that you hold, the subjective reality. I say subjective truth, you know, is a term that sometimes comes up in, in, in media and videos or, you know, discussion. And again, when I use the term subjective truth, I do not mean pluralistic truth where you can believe anything and that makes it so. I just mean it is truth that has been encoded in your mind, that it is your best possible understanding, your sincere best at, at, at having an as accurate as possible understanding of everything that exists. So this subjective reality and truth that you hold in your own mind is your belief system, your worldview, and some people have used the phrase, your truth. Um, you know, so in sharing your truth, what you are sharing is not the truth. It is not necessarily sharing, hopefully not, if your attitude is, you know, uh, uh, sort of vulnerable and, and gentle. You're not forcing truth down on someone else. You're merely saying, listen, guys, this is my understanding. And I may be wrong. I probably am wrong in some areas. I know that I see in part, but this is the best that I have. Now, I think for a moment, I just want to talk about why we hold ideas um, and where they come from. And I just want to make two quick points, and it's this. Beliefs are held, firstly, because they are inherited. If you grow up in one context, you will be exposed to certain ideas. And you will take many of those ideas completely for granted until you get exposed to a group of people that believe something completely different, right? So if you were born in a completely different setting, would you not have a completely different worldview? You know, it's just a good hypothetical question. So we believe certain things because we inherit them, um, not necessarily because they're ideal or optimal or most truthful. So again, with the world is flat example, what isn't it safe to assume that some of what we believe is false and flawed and not healthy and needs to change? And I think that if we want to have integrity and be truthful and again, pass on to the next generation a, a, a healthy, strong mandate to step into their, their time with courage, then we have to have a commitment to critique our own understanding. The second reason we believe things and we hold on to those ideas and we don't just get rid of them or question them is because they have utility. They are useful. Okay, so let me give you an example. Racism. I hope you believe that racist ideas are not healthy, okay? There are some people who just don't care and they actually, you know, they just outright like to subscribe to these things. But to a racist, it is actually useful to believe in racist ideology. Why? Because um, you're not going to just hold on to a belief if there's no benefit for holding on to it. Then you would get rid of it, okay? So for a, for a racist, if you think about it, we all need boundaries, I mean, we don't have enough time and resources to care about seven and a half billion people as much as we would our own child or ourselves, do we? Think about it. I mean, if you absolutely, just objectively said, 
I love every single person on the planet exactly the same as myself. Well, you would never eat because you would have to distribute all of your resources perfectly equally. Okay, now you may not agree with my analogy there, with my thought there, but the, the point I'm making is boundaries are actually necessary. They, they, we cannot function without them. Unless you draw a line and say, those things I will not do, those people I'm not going to get involved with, you know, you won't have the energy or be able to sustain yourself. That's just a fact, in my opinion. Um, so for a racist, you basically go and you exclude large groups of people. You just don't care for them. You ignore them. They're just part of the landscape. They're not important. Um, so it's quite useful. And and there is there are sort of social rewards, I think, um, that we stick to our own tribes. We, we stick to people of our own kind who speak our own language. We hang out with them. Uh, understand their interests and we do business with them. So anyway, you might not agree with my analysis there, but I actually think it makes sense that we hold on to beliefs because they have some function for us. Now, one way to define fundamentalism is that it is the belief that my own subjective understanding of the world is the same as absolute truth, that there is no difference so when you don't believe what I believe and you don't agree with me in everything that I say, it must be because you're being stubborn and you're being deceitful on purpose. Because actually you understand exactly what I'm saying, but you're just trying to be difficult, you know. And so in Christian circles, um, this is not very good for critical dialogue because what we're saying is, I will tell you what the truth is. And if you don't agree with me, well, go to hell. You know, I mean, that's effectively the the, the bottom line, though, isn't it? But I think we need humility when it comes to truth, which will manifest in a willingness to listen to others and really want to understand. You know, do I really consider every person on the planet to be my equal? Now, again, understand that, practically speaking, is this really possible? Well, it should, certainly is an ideal we need to pursue after if I see every person on this planet as being my equal, that is, they are just as human as I am, they are, you know, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that they are sincere human beings, and they believe what they believe out of sincerity because it's the best they know what to believe. If they knew of a better way of to think of themselves in the world, they would have done it. You know, I would like people to give me that benefit of the doubt, certainly I should have it about others. Now, I'm not saying again that all ideas are equal, but I am saying that um, I do believe people hold on to what they believe out of sincerity. And if we start there, it helps us have a healthy conversation. Okay, so let's make this practical. What, you know, how do you apply all of this? Firstly, you are the only person that holds your unique set of beliefs and experiences. You have a responsibility to steward that, to manage that, to be responsible with it, and to push deeper into reality, to make sure your interpretation of your existence, your interpretation of your experiences is accurate, is healthy. Don't take shortcuts, don't take the easy way out, Actually ask the questions and do your research and ask people around you. Become informed and make sure that your own belief system is robust. It is healthy and it needs to be based on truth. As I said earlier, it also needs to produce the outcome, the fruit of the fruit of the spirit, being a generous, joyful, peaceful person. So I think that's point number one. Number two is this unique way of seeing the world and experience that you have deserves to be shared. It is valid. It is good. It is helpful. There are many other, you know, I, 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 I almost want to say that every single person on the planet will relate to your struggle. And in some ways you have a unique ability for certain people to be able to address the questions and struggles they have. So it's important that you speak up. Don't allow self-doubt and, you know, ambiguity and not knowing everything. We need more people to speak up despite the doubt. And, you know, these crazies who get up and know everything 
are the types of voices we should be skeptical about. Are you with me? And for me, this is a big part of why I'm doing this podcast. Not because, you know, I am naturally, I grew up with, with thinking I have a, a voice that everybody needs to hear. So I still probably have some of that, you know, but I, I've, I've done this podcast despite my fears and insecurities. And, and I still feel that I, I'm not be, I would not be true to myself if I didn't speak up for the things that I believe are important. And I ask you to do the same. So number three, with the same sincerity we'd like others to listen to us, we should listen to others. It's a very simple thing, you know. How, how would you like someone who you look up to, you respect, um, you know, whatever situation you want to, want a scenario, want to think about, whether it's church, church, whether it's business, whether it's in society, whether it's in, in marriage, you want someone else to sit down and really be interested in you and understand where you're coming from and push in, really want to understand how you see the world. That is the evidence that they see you as valuable. Well, you can't control other people. You can only control yourself. And why do we expect others to do something that we are not doing? So the only thing we can do is to do it ourselves, is to step out there, push into people, not, you know, to be difficult, but actually to create an environment and a space where they feel comfortable to speak up and to genuinely, sincerely see it as such a beautiful, divine thing to hear someone else's perspective and understanding, to treasure it, to see it as precious, to protect it, to honor it, to, to, to see the good that is there, focus on that and learn from it. Number four, you have the right to change your mind. Right. I think this is just a point that, that's been on my mind for a while. We're in a culture that is extremely aggressive when it comes to any topic you talk about, anything that is of importance. I mean, if you want to talk about weather, you know, so be it. But if you actually want to talk about something that is important, that has significance and has implications for people, you're going to get people who jump in the conversation with a very aggressive and violent attitude. And, you know, if you think about phrases we have is, 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 you know, don't be a fence sitter, you know, take a stand, stand up for what's right. Um, you just, you know, what's your position on this issue or the subject? And really, for me, I think a very powerful place to be is to say, you know what, I, I, I have some questions. I have not made up my mind. I'm going to sit on the fence. It's uncomfortable, but I'm going to sit there until I have all the information I need to make a good decision. Now, I appreciate on lots of things in life, you don't have all the information. You're never going to have all the information, and we're limited in time. You have to make a decision. But most things, um, when it comes to larger issues in society, we have all the time in the world to do a proper job at researching. But rather, we feel pressure to air an opinion that agrees with the people around us. You know, we feel, feel that peer pressure and I think we have to resist it. So you have the right to change your mind. In fact, please do. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, don't just accept the thinking that everybody else does to the way everybody does stuff. It goes on, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So I want to ask you, be brave, speak up, but also listen up. Hold your truth with an open hand and not a closed fist. For me, that is, I think that sentence sums up what I would like to see change in our churches, but also in our society, is that people hold their truth in their hands, clenched. And they punch people with it. Whereas I want to have a world for my son where he can explore, where he can say, here's my truth. Here's my hand. I know it's flawed. I know it's incomplete, you know, by definition, duh. And I know yours is, but I will respect your gem if you open up your hand and let me see it. And I will honor it. I will protect it and I will learn from it. And, and here's mine. You know, that's the type of culture I want us to see create. When you speak up, you are not offering the timeless absolute truth. You are humbly submitting your best possible understanding of the truth. 
And and I hope for three things when I do this. One, you know, you what I have found is I, I can't just step into a conversation with people, sit down and they don't know me and go, okay, tell me everything you know, tell me your worldview, uh, be vulnerable, uh, be brave, I'm going to listen and just tell me everything. People don't do that. What happens is you start a conversation and then gradually you want to push into actually sharing your own truth and being vulnerable with them and then they will reciprocate. But I don't share what I know purely out of wanting to be heard. I mean, we all have a need to be heard, but I genuinely desire to hear the other person's understanding. And when you see them open up and share their own struggles, then you know I've hit jackpot and and you have to be careful. You're trading on holy ground. So I hope for three things. One, it will create an environment where someone else can feel brave to speak their mind. And two, that that what I have to share may be useful. I mean... um, I do believe that some of the things that I understand and know can free up people. You know, that that is my personal goal. If I sit down with someone and you get to the struggle and you get to their anxieties and you can go and validate them and say, give them permission to have thoughts, to have questions, to not be sure, to not know. It frees them up so that they can be more honest and more peaceful and more joyful And then they can actually learn and step into the new season with an open mind rather than being on lockdown and having being motivated by fear. But I, you know, when I, so secondly, when I share what I have to say, I hope that it would free someone up and maybe it would give them more energy. Maybe tomorrow morning they wake up with just a little bit more joy, a little bit more hope, a little bit more faith, love, peace, generosity, uh, patience, kindness. And thirdly, I hope that I can renew my own mind in some way when someone else speaks up. You know, there's a saying, uh, I think it's a Chinese saying, but it says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. And the question is, am I ready to learn what every single person around me, everybody being a teacher, is ready to teach me? We have to disarm our own biases, we have to disarm our own insecurities, self-interests, and open up our eyes to more truth. So that's why I started this podcast. I I grew up, uh, my dad's a pastor in an evangelical church. Um, I have phenomenal respect for him and for my mom. And I grew up learning the value of sharing your truth in an evangelical church, right? I mean... This has eternal consequences. This is how it's it's framed, of course. Uh, um, so it's quite important we get out there and we tell people. But I soon realized it's not quite as simple as that, that people need to be listened to, not just talked at, <laughs> right? Um, and something that I learned from my parents is that there is a difference between you know, there certainly was a difference in my experience between the, the, the philosophy of truth I got from my parents to what many people experience from church. My, my parents respected my, my views. They, they saw me as a, they still do, as a mature thinker. Um, they exposed me to different perspective and explained why they thought and understood the world as they did. And they, you know, my questions and concerns, they took them seriously. And at the end of the day, they would always go back to the most important values of loving God and people, reconciliation, peacemaking with others, service to others and society. And most importantly, they instill the security and fundamental belief of unconditional acceptance and love in me. And, you know, obviously I've had my share of anxiety and frustrations and disappointments. Uh, I mean, it's a joke compared to what most people suffer, but um, I've had my own sort of testing experiences and desert experiences, if you want to call it that. But I have never, I've always been able to come back to the beliefs that my parents instilled in me and the way that they loved and respected me as a human being. 
And that gives you the capacity to sit and listen when it's a little uncomfortable to do it. So I started this podcast because every person I've ever had a meaningful conversation with has been my teacher. And what they taught me, I can no longer shut up about. This is not about, you know, me thinking I have all the answers in the world. But I am merely um, articulating everything that I have learned from everywhere else. Completely unoriginal thoughts. And I'm bringing it together in the best way that I know how. And it is my truth that I can no longer shut up about. And I will not. <laughs> you know? So I want to push deeper into it. And I reserve the right to change my mind. So let me end with some comments about church and our communal engagement with truth that I think is going to be useful moving forward. Number one, church in my mind should be a place where people feel comfortable sharing whatever truth they have, where we listen to one another and learn from one another. Now, there's a difference between saying to me, oh, everybody's welcome in my church and everybody feeling welcome in your church. Do you see what I'm saying? Because there's lots of people who do not feel comfortable in most churches. So I appreciate this is easier said than done. But I think it should be central that we constantly ask, where is the sheep that is not here? And how do we, the 99 sheep, go and find whoever is not represented? Why do they not feel comfortable here? And how do we reach out to them, serve them, love them, listen to them? Before we try and, you know, there's no, there shouldn't be an agenda to fix them. There should be, the agenda should be to love people. Um, So this engagement with someone to understand where they're coming from, understand their struggles, to create an environment where they feel vulnerable. This cannot be marginal or accidental or, you know, the exception. It should be absolutely central to everything we do in church. That, to me, is what church is about. It is a group of people who meet between two and how many ever, who come together with sincerity, not pretentiousness. Pretentiousness is, pretense is the opposite of what church should be. Okay, so the question is, do people come to church and feel pressure to pretend? And why? And how do we get rid of that type of culture and environment? That's my personal conviction. Number two, we will need to learn new skills for for critical conversations. I mean, if you if you if you if you if you haven't been in many of these critical conversations, you won't have the skills to do them because you won't know how to handle the emotions that come up. People will say things that will make you very uncomfortable, they'll make you angry, they'll make you scared, insecure. And if you don't have a healthy way of handling that internal turmoil and learn, listening to someone despite those emotions, then it's just not going to work. So we are going to have to develop new skills uh, for critical conversations. You know, So things like being gracious, understanding and honoring when others share, staying calm and really uh, uh, just pushing into their understanding and being less self-aware. And when we speak up, we have to learn to be more secure, teachable, so that we can take on board when others respond to what we have to say. Don't take it personally. It is, you know, I've, I've seen, I've been in many conversations when some of the things that I have said have upset people. And there is the temptation to go, you know, they hate me or they're reacting to me. But actually they're reacting to internal problems and anxiety that they experience, if that makes sense. So we have to learn these skills. Number three, and this is an incomplete thought, a controversial thought, absolutely, okay? But I've been thinking about this for a while, and I I have this question, so I'm going to ask it, okay? Think about it. You don't reject it outright, but just think about this. I wonder if church, the institutional part of church, not the people's part of church, okay, but the institutional part of church, the organizational, legal, financial, administrative aspects. I wonder if that should not be belief agnostic. (laughs) 
I knew he was going to love that. So, so what, what I mean by that is, I don't think the institution should tell you what to believe. Very simple. I think the institution should, uh, should create interventions and meetings where people can share their subjective beliefs and state it as such. And people can be vulnerable, create these interventions where we're allowed to be vulnerable and speak our minds. Um, and people will, again, my opinion, people are going to arrive at the conclusions and believe whatever they choose to believe. And when we have institutions that from the top down autocratically tell people what to believe and think, then people become pretentious. They shut down. They don't open up. Why are they? If, if, if in a traditional church you ask a question, you say, uh, why does Jesus have to die? Um, can you please explain to me the Trinity? Um, can you please explain to me the verse about uh, in, in, I think it is, is it Exodus, where if, if a slave owner kills, as, I'm sorry, if a slave owner beats a slave and the slave dies, the, the slave owner should be punished. If the slave doesn't die and recovers in a day or two, then the slave owner should not be punished because the slave is the owner's property. I mean, that's sort of very close to the actual verse. Okay, so if you raise a question about this, in a very traditional church, someone who is the scholar, who is the theologian, who is the pastor, whatever, the priest will get up and answer your question and then you pretty much have to shut up and accept whatever they say and walk away. Does it necessarily solve it for you, answer your question, answer your concerns? No. But from then on, it's shut down the conversation rather than, than having a, a, a wrestle with this and pushing deeper into it. And I understand that in certain churches, people do wrestle with it. And, and the cultures vary very widely between different denominations and churches. I understand that. But just think about this idea that if we had such confidence and belief in people's ability to discern truth for themselves, then the institution would not need to tell you what to believe. I think that there has to become a point in history where we don't treat people as stupid, ignorant children, but we actually respect them and we teach them to think and decide for themselves. Ultimately, I don't believe a controlling approach is ever going to get us to reconciliation and peace and really an acceleration for discovering truth and justice in the world. Think about it. Let me know what you think. Okay, John, the book of John in the Bible, chapter 16, verse 13 says, Jesus speaking, and he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And I always think, you know, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples just before being crucified. After the disciples spend approximately three years with him, pretty much every day, all day. And after that period of time, he says to them, you still don't have all the truth. The spirit of truth is going to lead you into truth. And, you know, what does that say about us? I think we all always have something more to learn. I want to be part of a community of people who let the truth win on its own merits and not allow power dynamics to determine what we believe. Think about that. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to end there. Um, I hope that this has been helpful. It certainly has been something that has been on my mind now for a while and I think can be very constructive and helpful in how we dialogue in the communities and spaces we create. So send me some feedback, would you? Send me a message. It would be great to hear from you, um, either by uh, through Facebook, facebook.com forward slash tpcpod for the Progressive Christian Podcast. Um, or you can use WhatsApp, uh, which is an app available on most mobile phones, and you can send me a message, a voice note, or a text message on plus two seven eight one four eight six seven double three five. God bless you. Thanks for being a part of this journey and uh, I hope to hear from you.